You are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is produced by Crawlspace Media. Thanks for listening to True Crime Twins. I'm Chloe. I'm Melina. For more True Crime Twins content, we have a TikTok. The handle is True Crime Twins, where you'll find exclusive content. I, Chloe, have a little mini series on there called True Criminology, which are just brief, quick crash courses on criminological concepts. Also, follow us on Twitter is True Crime Twins, and Instagram is True Crime Twins Podcast. You can also email us at truecrimetwinspodcast at gmail.com with case suggestions, comments, discussion points, anything that you want. We hope to hear from you. I love getting your DMs. And now on to the show. Today is a case that has been on my mind pretty much every day, (laughs) throughout the day, every day, ever since I started reading about it. I found out about it on social media because it blew up several celebrities posted about it, Mm -hmm. which you brought some attention. There is a petition out there on change.org, I believe, regarding the case. So it recently, you know, amped up in attention. I only heard about it quite recently. It happened two years ago and I have just been obsessed because this- Almost three years ago, yeah. Yeah, this case is a true mystery. It's been officially ruled an accidental death, but the circumstances are so odd and the waters are so muddied just because of a poor investigation. There's a lot of things that make this very loaded and we'll get into that soon, but I am just completely drawn in. We're talking about the death of Tamla Horsford. Tamla was a mother of a bunch of boys. I think that she had all sons and was basically just living the American dream of being a homemaker and like a, what was it? A football or a soccer mom, like what, whichever, like she was like the all American type mom. And by all accounts was just like a really kind hearted, generous person and would do anything for her family. Yes. Tamla, she was 41 at the time of her death. She was born in 1978. You said that she lived the all American life, kind of the American dream. She was born in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. For those who aren't familiar, that's one of the Caribbean islands. It's in the vicinity of St. Lucia, Jamaica. She meets her husband, Leander Horsford, and they live in Florida. He has a daughter from a previous relationship. Tamla is an insta mom, as people would say. She completely just embraces that role and acts like she's her mother. They also have, as Melina mentioned, lots of sons, five to be exact. They eventually moved to Georgia in Forsyth County, which is a very wealthy and very white county with a very loaded racial history. You know, at the time of the crime, I believe it was around 100 years ago or less than 100 years ago, where there was humongous racial riots and lynchings because there were two separate incidences where white women accused a black man in the community of a violent crime. And there was due process in the United States for a reason, but this was fast-tracked and racist Forsyth County, Georgia. And basically all of the black people in the end were driven out of town. So this was like, you know, a hundred or so years ago, but the impact is still clear. There's very few black people in Forsyth County 
she's you know black in her complexion her husband's black and i believe the children the are children are, are all black so certainly they were of a significant minority and you know these people that were lynching people and i'm not saying that people are responsible for the actions of their ancestors but i'm just uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just making a point that it wasn't that long ago and you know these it's are the south you these know these are people's grandparents and great grandparents and it's a community with a racist history and it continues to this day to be very predominantly white and that matters to a family of color or to a person of color you know being on their own and not having a sense of community right and like i said i think tamla really tried to embrace her community like she became friends with a bunch of other moms with kids that are close to her kids age because of sports i believe right yes she was friends with a woman who you know lived in this nice mansion her name is jean myers she has this nice house and they were connected because both of their sons played football and you know tamla's very involved in all of her children's lives she actually goes to jean myers home on the night of her disappearance and cooks like an elaborate breakfast the night before she leaves because she doesn't want her family to be hungry in the morning when she's gone because she knows that it's a party where there's going to be drinking and it's a sleepover party it's a sleepover party and you know someone dug up the records of people that were at that party and apparently there have been some duis which i think is the reason why it was a sleepover because it's rare when you hear about an adult sleepover party I have, I yeah, mean, cause they're not in their twenties, they're in their forties and they're like married and domesticated. But am I just like a total like loner and maybe people are having sleepovers and like, maybe if you're rich and have like a lot of space and a lot of amenities, like a lot to of offer, like a lot of guest rooms and guest bathrooms, big and, couches. Yeah. I live fluffy with, rugs. <laughs> I, I have a bit more of like a, like a bungalow type vibe. Yeah. No, but that, <laughs> no, that's cool though. I think that like, sure, it sounds fun, but yeah, maybe they just wanted to like party and let loose. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that was like a thing that people did in that area, adult sleepovers, but they really embraced it. Like they're all wearing PJs and it took a bunch of pictures. Definitely drinking was going on, no doubt. Yes, there was drinking going on. They were playing cards against humanity. Two men actually attended the party. Okay. Yeah, one of them was Jose Barrera, who is the boyfriend of Jean Myers. The he, house owner. Yes, the homeowner. He had the position of a pre-trial officer. He was previously a probation officer. And I think the other man there was a husband of one of the women. So they ended up staying, which was unplanned, and multiple people reported to have left in the middle of the night, not sleeping over, which some people have been like, why did they leave in the middle of the night? You know, maybe they just stayed to sober up a little bit before driving. Maybe they got a ride from someone and they didn't want to miss out on the fun. Who Anyone knows? who knows me knows that I do that. Sometimes I'll be hanging out with my friends and then I kind of go to bed early sometimes. So I do. And then I wake up at like three or four and I'm like, I want to go home and see my cat. So then I, I like sneak out just because it's like, I'm awake. I'm It's time to go. So maybe it's not that weird. I forgot about that habit of yours. That's just like something I can't relate to having a baby. So <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just like still a party girl. And I'm kidding. That's why this show needs two hosts. Like we need the party girl's perspective and the mom's perspective. Yeah. Cause I, I really don't think, I know that in the context of a death investigation, like you will want to see patterns of unusual behavior. Like if it's supposed to be a sleepover, why are people leaving in the middle of the night? Because you can't sleep because maybe you have to go to work really early the next day. 
I don't know. I don't know if it has anything to do with what happens later, but it is true that people were leaving at early morning hours. Tamla arrives at the home, which was at 4450 Woodlet Court. She arrives at 8.30 p.m. So she was like, I think the second to last person to arrive. The party technically started at seven. She comes with a bottle of tequila, which was blue in color. She said that she'd purchased it in Mexico and it was supposed to be a gift for Myers. Now, something that people find very suspicious about this case is that there is some contradiction in what some of the witnesses say. There's, I think, a total of 12 people that were in the home at one point during this time period. So some people say, you know, a lot of people were drunk. Some people say that, you know, people were having shots from the tequila bottle. Some people were saying that that Tamla was trying to get people to drink it and they didn't want to. I actually read that the only person that drank from that bottle was Tamla. And they said that it was like a like one quarter of the way left. So it was like, basically they were saying that she drank that whole thing herself. Bull crap. Yeah. I feel like that she was being, no, no. I feel like she was being thrown under the bus <laughs> yeah. there a little bit. Like they were kind of trying to paint this, this image of like an out of control person. And like some people were saying that she was the only one drinking, but that just wasn't the case. I don't believe that at all. Yeah. Like, come on. That doesn't make that. I just can't see it happening. So there's a lot of pictures and videos from that night and I know that people project a lot onto people that aren't here to speak for themselves anymore. And I'm not trying to do that, but just looking at these pictures of Tamla, she just has the warmest, kindest smile and just seems like the type of person that like I would have fun with. Like even if the women at this party, like weren't appreciating her company, if I had someone come with, you know, that energy, I think I would have really enjoyed that at a party. And I sort of feel like, I don't think, based on the photos and videos that Tamla necessarily felt alienated, but certainly the statements that were made after her death made it almost seem like she was a bit of the odd one out and not just because she was the only black woman at the party, but just they were kind of saying that her behavior was a little bit different. Right. Like saying she was getting trash and nobody else was sharing her tequila. They also said that she brought a joint and started smoking marijuana on the balcony. She lit it up and the homeowner, Jean, told her to put it out because her boyfriend being a pre-trial officer wouldn't approve. And of course in Georgia, it was probably illegal to but, even like whip it out of your pocket. Yeah. Everybody's like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in a different part of the country, a few couple years later, she wouldn't have had to worry about that being illegal. I mean, in the end it was Jean's house. So, you know, what she said went, however, one person did admit to taking a hit from the joint besides Tamla. Who? I'm not sure exactly which witness it was. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Well, I'm curious if it was a female or a male. It was a female. Oh, okay. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, I just feel like there have been multiple attempts to like paint a picture of her being like the odd one out. Like they also said that like she was the only one smoking cigarettes. Like she kept going out to smoke cigarettes. Okay. Well, we've all been to the party where there's like that, there's like one or two people going out and smoking and people sometimes use it as an opportunity to like take a break from what's going on or they're drinking a lot. Um, so they have like the craving more and they feel socially anxious or also sometimes it encourages people to come out and talk to you, like have like a little bit of one-on-one time with somebody if they're out smoking a cigarette. So I don't know if that was like a weird thing or if it was like accepted and bullshit. I I call BS on her her being the one smoking cigarettes. I just don't believe it. I don't believe it either. Come on. It's like, no, I just get the sense that these women are very, you know, image focused and polished. 
And there are some examples that we'll discuss later on that support this hypothesis of mine. And I think they were willing to lie to protect their image. And that's unfortunate, but true in a lot of communities. Reputation is everything to them, more important than, you know, accurate facts and justice. Yeah. So people started going to bed at this party around 1.30 a.m. You know, the men came up to join them for halftime. The game ends. They continue drinking, eating, playing cards. By all accounts, Tamla was having fun. Tamla stays up with another person and is eating gumbo reportedly in the kitchen. Friend leaves. I believe her husband comes to pick her up and reports that Tamla gave her a hug and thanked her for being a good friend and said goodnight. And her friend kind of said, okay, Tamla, like, you know, enjoy, enjoy your gumbo, like have a good night. And that was the last person who has owned up to seeing and talking to her. And what time was that at? That was, I think, before two in the morning. Something significant was that she had also mentioned to this woman that she was going to smoke a cigarette before she went to bed. And that kind of makes sense given, you know, her behavior previously in the night and just sort of wrapping up the evening, mm-hmm. having that final a nice full stomach. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> I get it. Yeah, Melina, Melina gets it. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's, you know, the last person that owns up to talking to her. This home actually had a alarm system. The exact time that this witness, um, her name's Bridget Fuller, walked out to her husband waiting for her to drive her home was 1.47 a.m. The next activity that was reported was the back door opening and then closing at 1.57 a.m., which is 10 minutes after this last witness leaves. The garage door also opened, closed, and opened again at 1.30 and 1.40, but this is never explained. Unfortunately, even though the place has video surveillance, the only functioning surveillance system that was working that night were the door sensors. The cameras were not charged wow yeah so some people have said like oh how convenient no, literally I, yeah i didn't know that i think people typically keep those things charged i mean I, I get the power of using it as a deterrent so she was last seen and there's that activity with the doors and the garage door and we don't really know who's coming and going it could be it's it's not the sensor for the balcony it's for the front and back door well the back door was accessed so they think that this is tamla because apparently you can access the balcony with that door So they believe that's when she went up to the upper balcony to smoke a cigarette. That's kind of what the assumption is based on what she said to the witness, but there's no one that's come forward to say that they saw her on the deck or with her. Yeah, smoking a cigarette. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. So next in the timeline is the following morning at 8.30 a.m. Jean Myers' aunt her name is Michelle Lombardi. She lives with Jean. She lives in the home. She wakes up first. She's making coffee and she looks out the window and she sees Tamla lying face down in the backyard. So she goes to Jean and Jose Barrera, tells them what's going on. Apparently she was reported as saying that something was wrong with her friend from the islands. So this is kind of our first, you know, wait, who said she said that's a 911 no, she said that to Jean when she saw Tamla in the yard. She goes up to Jean and instead of saying, addressing her by her name, she says, your friend from the islands. Did Tamla have like an accent or something or like what? Like why even mention that? I have no idea, but I've noticed that that's kind of something that people that are a bit racist do is yeah. they 
are really preoccupied with someone's ethnicity and will use it as like a primary factor in describing them and characterizing them. So that's kind of like a red flag. Another one would be Jean, when she had, you know, discouraged Tamla from smoking a joint, she had said to police later on that she had teased that she was the female Bob Marley, which again, I think is a kind of racially charged statement. You know, would she have said that if it were me on the deck trying to smoke a joint or did she just say that because Tamla was from the islands? That's a, that's a good question. Like, I feel like I've definitely characterized people that way that weren't necessarily black because it is an expression, but you could also say Tommy Chong. So a little stereotyping, a lot of people smoke marijuana. It doesn't mean that they're a certain type of person. Tamla was a very functioning, successful, happy person, amazing mother. This wasn't something that held her back in life. I mean, not that it held Bob Marley back either. (laughs) Or Tommy Chong. Yeah, or any, you know, none of these examples. So I guess we see a theme here. But anyway, back to the story. 911 is called just before 9 a.m. So that's kind of like a bit of a time gap between 8.30 when Lombardi reportedly first saw the body. What time did they call? Just before 9 a.m. Both Jean and Jose speak on the phone, but neither of them sound emotional or anything like that, which is fine. We're not judging someone by their 911 call, by someone's immediate reaction to seeing something very traumatizing. It's just worth noting, neither of them expressed much concern. It was just very clinical. I I believe Jose was trained in CPR and things like that. Tamla was stiff and cold. The lividity in her body, I think, was pooled in her face, which supported that she died in that position, which was face down on the ground. And some of her injuries are consistent with that also. Her autopsy stated that her injuries were consistent with a fall. Some of them, I think, were. The fact that she had a laceration in one of the ventricles inside of her heart tells me that that happened because of how her chest landed on the ground hard and it literally caused it to like rip. What were her other injuries, Melina? She mostly had bruises on her face and like brain swelling. She had weird cuts though on her body. Jose in the 911 call who fancies himself in law enforcement, he like mentioned the fact that she had a cut on her wrist on the 911 call. It wasn't a cut on her wrist. It was a compound fracture. There was a bone sticking out of her skin. No, I think that I, I think that it was both. There were cuts and the bone. Yeah. But like someone thought that, that was kind of sketchy to have mischaracterized the injury, but maybe he was looking at the other wrist that only had the scratches. But it is strange and not really explained because it's not like she fell in tree branches or bushes. She fell in grass. I don't think so, but I'm pulling up the autopsy report so I can sort of get a better idea. She did not have any fractures of the bones of her face, which is interesting because you would think that your cheekbones and your nose would hit impact, but I maybe she kind of landed at an angle. But whichever way she landed, the impact was horrendous. She did have um, something called an atlanto-occipital dislocation. I think that's what it's called. It's basically when your spinal cord becomes slightly shifted away from the base of the skull. So the only other time that I've heard this happen in an autopsy were the heart mothers, the ones who killed those precious children in the car. Both of them had that injury from the impact. In that sense, that injury is consistent with a fall. But when did the fall happen? 
it's unclear. It's unclear when or how it happened or if it happened after something else happened. Was there anything else notable in the autopsy report? So I don't know what people know about blood alcohol levels. Basically, the legal limit is 0.08, meaning if you are driving and you get pulled over and you get breathalyzed and your blood alcohol content is a 0.08% or higher, you're going to get a DUI and go to jail. So anything below that, you're you're in the clear for like driving and stuff, but you are still technically intoxicated because you're drinking. I've observed people who were like 0.15, which is twice, technically almost twice the legal limit. And they can still speak. They're, they're, they're a little bit wild, uninhibited. But Tamla here, her blood alcohol level was 0.238. That's really high. Like that type, that high of a blood alcohol level, she would have had issues with her coordination and her speech. Like she could have fallen before. If you were a nurse in, um, you are a nurse, but if you were a nurse in a medical examiner's office and the lab results came back with blood alcohol level being that high, would you retest it? Like, would you think that it was like too high to be accurate? Yes. That's kind of what I'm thinking because there are a lot of pieces of information here that indicate that this was not, you know, a thorough investigation. They just assumed that it was an accident. So they didn't mark a crime scene off. They didn't collect evidence or fingerprints. They didn't take pictures of the autopsy report, which apparently is almost unheard of in that office. And they didn't perform a sexual assault kit on the body. So if something was done sloppily, like a lab mistake, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But an extremely high alcohol content in the blood would explain possibly falling off of a balcony accidentally. My issue is the center of gravity. The fence, I believe, that was you know preventing someone from falling from this balcony is four feet high. She wasn't an extremely tall person, you know. If she was five foot six, I think. Yes, if she were you know six feet tall, her center of gravity would be higher, and she'd be more likely to tumble over it. But I really think that she would have had to be you know climbing on top of it or doing something reckless to have fallen accidentally. What do you think? I think it's, it's sort of like, um, if anybody's familiar with the Atlanta monster situation about how the killer of all the children that were just dropping like flies in Atlanta back in like the eighties, what was his name? Wayne Williams, Wayne Williams. He was caught because the cops were scoping out a bridge and they heard a huge splash, like in the early morning hours. And they, and then a few out a few days later, they found a body where like the point of the drop would have led the body to. So that's basically how they caught this guy. But one of the arguments was that there was like a, a fence on the bridge and that Wayne Williams wasn't that large. So it's like, how could he probably would have had an issue getting over the fence, let alone pushing somebody over a fence that was already dead and so much larger than him. I don't know. It kind of reminds me of this because it would be difficult for her to climb over. And it would also be difficult for somebody to throw her over, maybe not to push her over. Yeah. When someone, when someone is, you know, forcefully pushing you, I think the whole center of gravity issue changes. I'm just talking about, you know, if she's leaning over the fence, smoking a cigarette, I don't think that she's going to flip over the fence accidentally just standing there. 
No, most likely not unless it like broke. And I don't think there was evidence of any any kind of like structural damage no. to the balcony. But if her blood alcohol content really was that high, I wonder if maybe she had had a fall before she went up on the balcony. That's what I'm That's what I think. Like only 10 minutes had passed since she had last seen someone and didn't report her having scratches. She was wearing like a full body onesie. But I'm thinking like maybe they were there before like for some reason, like if she had a cat or something or she could have tripped and fallen into like some gardening equipment that was actually speculated to be her cause of death at first was tripping into gardening equipment. But then it was later determined that it was more likely that she had fallen from the second story. It's very, very fishy to me, particularly because the guy who called 911, the homeowner's boyfriend, Jose, lost his job because he used his resources to look into confidential information about the investigation to her death. And that's really, really sketchy to me. Yeah, he was looking for the incident report and information, you know, about his girlfriend, Jean, almost to see kind of what they had, which is very suspicious. It was a conflict of interest. He lost his job. I think it's definitely suspicious when you're in a position like that, you receive training about ethics and not violating a file unless there's a professional relevance. The same thing goes in the medical field. You know, you're not supposed to open someone's medical records or someone's personal records at all unless you have some kind of business. You can't just do it because they're famous or because they're your neighbor. Or you're curious. Or you're curious. You can't just do that. So he did that and people have speculated, you know, was he trying to figure out what they knew? They thought it was suspicious. I don't think that's something, you don't risk everything just because of personal curiosity. Yeah, unless he's just like super impulsive. And then I would be worried about that in general. You know, it's like you are either trying to like discreetly hide something and trying to figure out what the investigators know to get get like a leg up or you're just completely reckless and I don't even know what you're capable of. Yeah, neither are a good sign. Nope. So yes, people think that because, you know, this was such a bang up job investigation, things weren't done properly, standard procedure like sexual assault kit, fingernail clippings, they weren't done. They almost, people have thought, people have suggested that there was some you know, institutional racism at play where people were just assuming that it was something else because she was black and they were white. So they just took their version of the story. Apparently some people in the house had some connection, you know, friends with the wife of someone in the sheriff's office, something like that. You know, Jose obviously also worked in law enforcement. So there's some speculation that the investigation was incomplete because they just took their word over hers and they didn't think that her death was as important as they would have thought if she were white. I think that that's definitely highly possible, especially given the area that we're talking about, which you gave a very astute history about. Thank you. Because I I didn't know that at all. Like, I think I just assume that south of the Mason-Dixon line just is more likely to be um, not as welcoming toward minorities but getting a lot of impressions (laughs) what else did i oh bob okay well this is the real me the southern accent let no just making impressions oh true (laughs) so they also tested her for illegal drugs she had thc in her system big whoop as lance would say yeah they're going after the hard stuff here like come on And she also had the prescription drug Alprazolam, which is also known as Xanax in her system. I believe her friends and family said that she didn't take this, but maybe she had a prescription for it and just 
wasn't making a big deal about it. Some people don't want other people to know. I'm not necessarily concerned about it, but if she was taking it that night combined with alcohol, it could have increased symptoms of disorientation, especially given how much she was drinking. I don't know. Like, I feel like if she drank the entire bottle um, or almost drank the entire bottle herself, her blood alcohol level would have been higher. Right. Like she was really, really drunk, but like, come on, she was not the only one. (laughs) I just think that so much of this was incomplete. They not like we we've talked about a lot of shortcuts that were taken, things that were just missed. They didn't take the witnesses to the police station. They had them all go back to the house of the crime scene to do the interviews, which is kind of a strange move, one that I had never heard of before. What about you? I have not heard of that strategy being taken. Maybe they wanted people to like, you know, remember things more easily or or maybe it was just complete lack of professionalism. Another very odd detail, some people consider it a clue, is Jean Myers, the homeowner, apparently when she's being interrogated by the police, she offers them Dunkin' Donuts gift cards. So they didn't accept him because they said it was inappropriate. And many have interpreted this as an attempt to bribe the police. Well, that's pretty stereotypical. I know a lot of people in (laughs) small communities that like kiss the police's butt. And I don't have a problem with, you know, being thankful for the, for the police and what they do for the community, but some people really take it to another level and maybe she was one of those people, but it just seems a little bit odd to like try to bribe them. Well, she was a badge bunny. Right. She was dating a pretrial officer. I mean, maybe we shouldn't label her because I'm just saying we don't know. We don't know who, what kind of people she likes to date just based on one person. Well, with him, she's a badge bunny. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So something relevant with the Duncan gift cards was she had later posted on Facebook in 2020, a selfie of her and two other women that were at the party. They're all wearing Dunkin' Donuts masks. And in the caption, she does hashtag I-Y-K-Y-K, which is, if you know, you know, which is like, people have interpreted that as a wink, wink suggestion. Or it could just be a bunch of white ladies being like, oh my God, we love Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) (laughs) But it also could be something really sinister like that. Right, like like a reference to the investigation. Just giving her the benefit of the doubt, but I I see where you're going. (laughs) Who knows? Um, Like Mexico, it's like that, like Dunkin' Donuts. A lot of the language that was used is another, as they would say in, social work coursework othering of Tamla, kind of like making her the other. Uh, Jean said everyone arrived by 7.15, but you know, Tamla arrived at 8.30. So she not in the rest of the group and Tamla wasn't the last one to arrive, but she kept saying that she was. There was someone that arrived later, but she kept saying that Tamla was the last one to arrive. So there's just some, there's some creepiness. Like I get the creeps from it. Yeah, there's some othering going on. Um, And I don't think we're just imagining it. Let us know. Yeah, I I don't think so. Based on the public reaction to this, I really doubt that we're the only ones. There was another odd behavior by Jean. I don't know how, like exactly how long it was, but I know it was the day after the party where Tamla died. She posts on Facebook, there was no fall from my deck. She later deleted it, but a lot of people have thought that was really strange. It's like, why is she lying? Like maybe they weren't sure exactly how Tamla had died, 
but it's like almost she was already trying to like manage rumors out there it's like what are you doing isn't that an odd post yeah (laughs) yeah just clearly sus yeah so the whole thing the whole thing is really strange very mysterious that's just one of many very odd details in the case you know something interesting i think that if anybody out there is wondering if that level of drinking was like i don't know tamla's norm i don't think that it was because of her liver in her autopsy it's like completely healthy no signs of fatty change or cirrhosis and that will happen relatively quickly if you are a serious binge drinker and get that drunk a lot so i don't think that she got like that very often i seriously doubt that she's very devoted mother i I, she's just letting loose whatever eating some gumbo any mom or you know super involved aunt (laughs) such as yourself would know that like a child-free night when you never get one it's a momcation it's yeah you want you want to party you want to have fun and like I that's just like why I just feel so awful about this case because this poor woman like just wanted to have a fun evening out with these people that she seemed to think were her friends I mean I think one of them Jean was her friend through football but I don't really think she knew anyone else at the party it seemed like they all knew each other and she only knew Jean maybe that sounds awkward I wouldn't want to go to that party there's so many odd things you know no evidence or fingerprints were collected like I said but there were two lighters on the deck so (laughs) that's weird I don't think someone smoking on their own would have two lighters I mean maybe they had like Maybe they do, but why would they both be out? No, I mean, maybe they had like, you know, Centronella candles or something for like mosquitoes or tiki torches or something. Or maybe one of them ran out. <laughs> yeah, or or she wasn't the only one who was smoking cigarettes and pot. Yeah, legit. I think that's, that's the much more likely scenario. I feel like that maybe, maybe you want to, not to like, you know, trash anybody or, you know, falsely accuse, but I don't know, maybe. The fact that she was like a drunk woman, I wonder if if whatever happened to her had maybe some kind of like sexual control motive. Well, there not was, trying to defame anyone here, but there was no sexual assault examination done, so we'll never know if there was some sort of sexual assault. But and I, she had abrasions on her face. I think that it's very possible that someone was out there smoking with her and got handsy, got handsy with her and attacked her and ended up pushing her over the edge or she fell over the edge in a struggle. I just don't think falling over in that way is a natural way to go down. Fingerprint the lighter. Oh, I, no, you can't because I have no doubt that they weren't taken into evidence. No, they weren't. We know that. At the very least, this case deserves more attention. They've closed the investigation, but so many people, myself included, don't think that it's enough. It kind of reminds me of the Maitrese Richardson case in a lot of ways. It just feels very overlooked, poorly investigated, non-compassionate vibes from the investigators and the police. Yeah. And it's just, it's combining, you know, something that's already terrible, which is, you know, someone going missing or someone getting murdered or someone dying in an unexplained way and combining that with another horrible phenomenon, which is racism and institutional racism. And this is the outcome and it's heartbreaking and it deserves all the attention in the world.